you. Thank you, Dr. Gatch. It's good to be back more than you would ever know, and I really do mean that. I did not come back, though, for a pat on the back. I came here to give you a push forward. And uh, I, I believe that the course and the direction of where the Lord has been leading Marilee and I in these uh, last months and definitely in the future is to equip the body of Christ. And God has just done uh, just a marvelous work wherever we've been. And there's been so many answers to prayer, but there's an answer to prayer this morning in chapel. So I'm gonna ask my answer to prayer to come up here. He has no idea that I'm gonna do this, but Clayton, come on up here for a minute. Clayton's one of my answers to prayer. So, and it's a great one for all of you to hear. So I met uh, Clayton at Camp Kobiak. I think Kobiak is here today. Where's Kobiak today? There's uh, the Wilsons. I met Clayton at Camp Kobiak at a, uh, a young adults weekend. Uh, a singles conference. And, and by the way, I will tell you, uh, I've done three of these since I've left here. And uh, I have about three, four more scheduled. And those are one of the greatest weekends that I'm doing right now is uh, college and career single adult weekends. And basically, I just give them everything that I taught here, you know, from the book of Joshua to counseling or whatever. And they're just receiving it so well. Uh, well, Clayton was at one of these conferences. And I got to pray with him in the last session. It was on personal sanctification. And I got to pray with Clayton. And I got to tell you something. When I finished praying with Clayton, I said, hey, bud, what are your plans for the future? And he said, well, you know what? I believe God's called me to be evangelist. And, I, and God's really given me a burden for the city of Toledo to either church plant there as an evangelist or whatever. And I said, well, you know what? That is great. Uh, I asked him how old he was, and he was a little bit older. Uh, he does not look like he's 44, does he? And no, no, that's because he's not. But he's a little bit older. But he's a little bit older. And, uh, and, and I said, well, let me ask you something. Where are you planning on going to prepare? And he said, well, you know, I, I, you know, my church and everything. Now, by the way, I'll tell you about his church. His church is pastored by a recent graduate of West Coast Baptist College, Caleb Prisnell. And Caleb has a youth pastor that's a recent graduate from West Coast Baptist College, Anthony Garcia. They both married girls from West Coast Baptist College. And I gotta tell you, I got to do a family conference at, at uh, uh, Clayton's church in Toledo. And that was so cool that one of our, one of the, both of them took all my classes and just to see what Caleb and, and Anthony are doing was just tremendous. And Clayton's from that church. So I prayed with him at Kobiak. And I said, you know, Clayton, I know you're a little bit older and you definitely have a burden and there's a definite maturity with you, but Clayton, you gotta get trained. You gotta get preparation. You just can't, you, you, you got all the zeal in the world, but you gotta have Toby England. You, you, gotta, get, you gotta get Brother Hauk. You gotta, you, you gotta get some training. You really gotta get some preparation. And so he thought about it, but it you know, didn't fit everything. Then I came for the family conference and I said, hey, Clayton, what are you doing about the preparation? And I said, Clayton, I'm gonna pray that God brings you to West Coast Baptist College because Clayton, I really do believe you need that preparation, but there's one other thing. I said, Lord, 
West Coast Baptist College needs this man's spirit. I'm going to tell you something. You need to get to know Clayton. Clayton's got a great spirit. And Clayton, I'm going to ask you to do something. I don't think I'm, uh, I'm putting hands on suddenly or anything like that. Uh, and I'm not trying to put any pressure on you or whatever like that. But I would like to have you lead us in a word of prayer for the chapel today. And uh, I really mean it, Clayton. You are one of the answers of prayer. And I've had so many in the last five, six months. But seeing you here at college is something I prayed very specifically. I said, Lord, Clayton not only needs preparation, he needs to prepare at West Coast. I think the student body needs you, but you need the student body, and you and you need also the preparation here. So Clayton, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about sanctification today, and I'm going to talk about Christ in us, and so I'd like to have you lead us in a word of prayer for that, and pray these next couple weeks that God just really works on our campus and everything going on, and pray for fine arts. I think what an opportunity to display our love and our joy uh, for these young people as well. So Clayton, I'm so thankful that you're here. I really mean that. It's such a great thing to see you. Would you lead us in a word of prayer? And, uh, and then we'll turn to our text afterwards. Go ahead. I just want to say I want to thank Dr. Shetler for uh, uh, recommending I come here for a year. It's been a blessing already so far. Let us pray. Our Father. Our great God and mighty King, we bless your perfect and everlasting name. We are so glad that you have sent Christ to this world to suffer, bleed, and die on the cross for our sins. Amen. And we are so thankful, Lord, that you rose him from the dead, that we may know you and have everlasting life. But Lord, when you saved us, you just didn't leave us there. Mm -hmm. But daily you are working on our hearts. Amen. Daily, Lord, you are maturing us, getting rid of all that sin that's in our hearts. Lord, we bless your perfect name. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for just working on us and form us into the image of Christ. We ask, Lord, over these next few weeks that you would do a special work on this campus. Amen. May the students here have more of a hunger for prayer, more of a hunger for your word, Amen. just to serve you. Amen. And we pray for fine arts. Yeah. Help us, Lord, to have a good impression here on campus that when these young people come, this is where they want to come to school. Amen. They say, look at the faculty. Look at the students here. Look how they love God and love one another. Oh, God, we thank you, Lord, so much. You are awesome. We thank you and we praise you. Amen. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Clayton. Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1, if you would. Colossians chapter number 1. In Colossians chapter 1, and starting at verse 26, I want to give you today, the title of my message today is The Secret of Sanctification. Now I will tell you, we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at a foundational truth, a truth that I think I've understood and I've known for years. 
But I want to talk to you, number two, about a conditional truth. And the conditional truth has been present in my life, but I don't know if I completely grasp it as I do today in my life. And then I want to tell you about a motivational truth today that has really been transforming my life in the last weeks. And I want to encourage you all in the secret of sanctification. I think the foundational truth, the majority of us in here will have understood. I think the conditional truth has been the, the area that you've just, I can't figure this out. If it's all Christ, then how is it me? Well, I think there's a couple conditional truths. But then I really do believe that my focus, though we will not spend much time on it, I do believe my real emphasis is the motivational truth, because if we, un if we apply the motivational truth, I think the conditional truth will take care of itself, and I think the foundational truth will be lived out. So um, I'm asking the Lord to do something. Clayton has already prayed for the message. Look with me, if you would, at Colossians chapter 1, the secret to sanctification. Look at verse 26. Even the, everyone together, what's the next word? Even the mystery, the secret, which had been hid from ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Old Testament people could not have understood what I'm going to talk about today. If you would have been sitting around a campfire in the Civil War and you would have said these words, yeah, I got to tell you, before the war started, I, I flew out to Los Angeles, California. Around a campfire at the Civil War, you would have said, yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm from the South. I'm from a plantation in the South. But uh, my dad uh, uh, and I, we flew out to California. What would those people have thought around that campfire? You what? Yeah, we flew out. I flew out uh, to California. What are you talking about? How did you fly out to California? Now, I, I told a lot of people today, hey, where'd you fly from? I said, oh, I flew from Pensacola to come out on here. No one had a like, you what? We understand now what they would have never understood. Do you understand the mystery that they never understood? Well, let me show you what that mystery is. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages, from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. Oh, you guys are going to see that today. Among the Gentiles, so it's not just the Jews that got this, but also we Gentiles can have this too, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, that would be like telling people 200 years ago, I flew from Christ in you. What in the world? What is this all about? Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, complete, finished, mature. That's my, man, I tell you what, that is such a passion in my heart right now to see maturity in the body of believers, that the, every man be perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now, that's about the secret there. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory.
But now I want you to, uh, now let's unfold this secret. Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 2, which may be just the next page for you. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 6. The foundational truth to the secret of sanctification. Here it is. Listen carefully. I'm going to read it once, and then we're going to read it together. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6. I think it's going to be up on the screen here in a minute. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Okay, as we have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Okay, there's a couple of words here that are just absolutely pivotal to understand. The similarities between salvation and sanctification and the differences. Now, notice two words here, as and so. Let's all together say Colossians 2, 6 together. Would you say it with me? As ye... So the way you receive Christ is the way now that you need to live in Christ. So what is that similarity? How did you receive Christ as your Savior? All right, let me tell you how you did it. You did it by faith alone, in Christ alone, in humility alone. Okay, so how did you, how did you get saved? You got saved by faith alone. It was absolutely nothing of you. You put, and what did you put your faith in? By faith alone, in Christ alone. You trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. You didn't do any part of it. You didn't do like a little bit here, a little bit there. I did this. Jesus did this. It was like about a 90-10% thing. He did 90% of it. I did 10%. Let me tell you something. Being born and raised in a Catholic church, this is what we were told. We were told Christ died for our sins, but we also have to do the sacraments. There was a part that we had to do, and there was a part that God had to do. Well, we know, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How did every one of you become children of God? You did it by faith alone, in Christ alone, and you humbled yourself. You said, you know what? It's not going to be me. It's, and it doesn't matter if you were four years old or whatever. You said, I am going, and you came as a little child. I am going to receive Christ as my Savior. I, I remember sitting at a table one night at a very expensive restaurant. Matter of fact, there were six of us. And I remember very clearly, I can't go into, oh, it's too long a story, but I can tell you, it's quite a story, but I know exactly how much that dinner cost that night. It cost $1,790. There were just six of us at that. It was a very exclusive restaurant, very nice. There was one of the top 50 trial lawyers in the United States, a former coach of the Buffalo Bills, a radio personality in the Southeast, uh, the son of the lawyer, there was me and one other man. 
And we, and, and, and we were sitting there and I was witnessing to them. And after I was done, I will never forget this as long as I live. The lawyer says to me, you know, Jim, if I was a six, eight, nine-year-old boy, I could believe what you just told me. But I just got to tell you, as a 65-year-old man, what you just explained to me, what God did, how he became a man, took our place, and we don't do anything. All we do, I just want to tell you something. As a 60-some-year-old man, I cannot believe in that. If I was a child, I could believe in that. And I got to tell you, I got tears in my eyes at that restaurant. And I looked at Fred Levin, and I said, Fred, that's it. That's exactly what's got to happen. You got to become as a child. Because otherwise, you are never going to believe this. You got to have faith like a child. Fred, that's your whole problem. Is you're trying to figure out how you're going to get to heaven because of your money or because of the good that you've done in the community. And you're going to have to trust in God. Now, let me tell you something. Every one of us can relate to this. We go like, amen, Brother Shetler. You get saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, and you humble yourself, and that's how you get saved. So here's the point. As you were saved, as you received Christ, the way you receive Christ is the way you overcome pornography, is the way you overcome your worry, is the way you get out of depression, is the way you begin to learn how to put your pride beside yourself and beside, behind yourself and to begin to relate in your roommates and swallow your pride. It's the way to control your tongue. The way that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior is the way that you walk. If you got saved by faith alone, then you have to now have sanctification by faith alone. If it was in Christ alone, then it's got to be Christ now. So we see the similarities, but notice the differences. There is a difference in this verse. As ye have therefore received... Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Okay, so the word received is an extremely important word, and the word walk is extremely important. Now, the similarity is that they're going to be both in faith in Jesus Christ, and you're going to have to humble yourself, and you can't have a part of it. It's going to have to be entirely Jesus Christ. The way you got saved, the way you get sanctified. But now there's a difference. The word received is an aorist tense. The word walk is an imperative, uh, perfect, continual action. Now this is really important. The aorist has the idea that it happened once in the past... And it has future ramifications. It happened in, now listen, it happened in a moment. In a moment, you receive Christ by faith in Christ alone. There was a moment. You may not remember the date. I do. November 8, 1969. 12-year-old boy, Kalamazoo, Michigan. And I'm kneeling by a cot, by a youth pastor with my tears crying, with my eyes uh, crying, and I, and I cry out to Jesus to get saved. I don't remember what I prayed, but I remember the day. November 8th, 1969. My wife's here this morning. She does not remember the date. But sometime when she was four years old, an event occurred in a four-year-old missionary kid. 
And Mary Lee put her faith in Christ. I want to tell you something, it's amazing. Mary Lee has never struggled with her assurance of salvation. Ben, he's an apologist, my son, got saved at four years of age. He does not know what he said, and he does not know the day he got saved, but Ben has never struggled with assurance of salvation. Drew, Drew got saved at four years of, I got three people in my family that got saved at four, and they've never struggled with assurance of salvation. Luke and I, we struggled. Luke got saved a little later, about 9, 10. I think he didn't understand everything. He got saved around 9 or 10, and I got saved when I was 12 out of a Catholic background. But I'm going to tell you this, and this is so important to understand, that I receive Christ the same way I walk in Christ, but there's a difference. So there was an event that occurred. There was a moment in time that I wasn't saved, and then I was saved. And I did that by faith alone, in Christ alone, in humility. All right. Now, sanctification is not an event. Sanctification is a process. And, the, and I do not know of a better word, and it is such a scriptural word, to use in this process than the word what? Everyone together, what's the word? The word walk. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, it's the word right there in the verse. The word walk. Okay, so walk takes, in order to take a walk, you have to take, everyone together, you got to take steps. And that is exactly what sanctification is all about. It's in faith, in Christ alone, but it's now taking steps. So the way that you got saved is the way you take your steps every day. You do it by faith alone, in Christ alone, and that's the foundational truth. You say, Brother Schiller, even though I have heard this all my life, I'm not sure I understand. Okay, so let's go back to our plane thing for just a moment. So in Pensacola, I got on a plane. I physically took my muscles and my body and I got on a plane. But that plane is the reason why I got to LA, not me. I didn't do anything to flap the wings. I didn't do anything to make that plane go. All I did was sit on that plane. I did have to get on the plane. I did have to step on that plane. And I stepped on that plane by faith, did I not? And I completely got on the plane. I didn't get halfway, you know what, I think I'm going to leave my arm and leg in Pensacola. No, I completely got on the plane and I got on the plane by faith. So I thought about another illustration, though I do think the plane one is absolutely perfect, was water skiing. How many of you ever water skied before? Okay, boy, not that many. Okay, all right, you got to come see me down in Florida. We're going to water ski. Okay, so... Uh, uh, so I learned how to water ski at a really young age. I was water skiing by age 10. Um, I started to slalom on one ski a little bit later in my teen life, and I've never barefooted before. Uh, but um, but I, I love water skiing. Now, I'll never forget, when you're in the water, and they circle a boat around, you get the rope, and you put it between your two skis to begin with. You know, you start out with two skis, and, and, and you get that thing. And you're thinking to yourself, how in the world is this going to work? And they said, now you got to crunch your knees. So there was something I had to do. And they said, you got to hold on tight. And that was something I had to do. But I will tell you, I did not water ski without a power boat. 
I could not get up out of that water without the power of that boat pulling me up out of the water. Now, let me tell you, some of you are trying so hard to overcome, like you're trying to water ski without a jet boat, without a power boat, without a motor. And, and you can't get up out of the water and you feel so defeated. Well, it is Christ that pulls you up out of your sin. It is Christ. You do have to get in the right position. You do have to hold on tight. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment. And we got the perfect biblical illustration for this. But you, but it is not you that is coming up out of the water. It is the power of the boat that pulls you up. It is the power of that airplane that got me here. I, by faith, had to get on, but I didn't do anything. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, that you have to overcome that sin. The Bible clearly says in John 15, 5, for without me, ye can do, everyone together, what's the next word? Nothing. For without me, ye can do nothing. So let me tell you something about the Christian life. I think I've said this before. I know I've heard preachers say this. The Christian life is hard, young people. There's difficulties in the Christian life. If you're going to be a successful Christian for God, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. Okay, so I'm changing that. If I ever said that, I'm changing that right now. The Christian life is not hard. The Christian life is not tough. The Christian life is not difficult. The Christian life is impossible. The Christian life is impossible. It is absolutely impossible for you to overcome whatever sin in your life you've never been. It is impossible for you to do that. The Christian life is not hard. It's not difficult. It's not like, well, it's so tough to be in a Christian. No, it's impossible to be a Christian. You have to have a power that is without you a power of the Lord Jesus Christ in you by the Spirit of God. That is, it has got to be something that, it, if you were sat around that fire at the Civil War and somebody said, hey, I flew from, you know, Philadelphia to Detroit or wherever, they, they go like, that. that's impossible. Well, it's not impossible without a plane. With a plane, it could be possible. Let me tell you something. It is impossible for you ever to overcome lust. You will never overcome pornography. You will never overcome self-harm. You will never overcome your depression without a power that is not of you. And that power is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the foundational truth that we must rest upon in understanding. Christ's power in you by the Holy Spirit is the only answer to sanctification. The power of Christ. Now, I would dare say that the majority of you say, Brother Scheller, no offense, but we kind of know this. This is a foundational truth. Well, that's good. Let's now go to the question that I would think every one of you have. I did not actually completely finish even my message on Sunday night about ministry. That ministry is not what you do for Christ. Ministry is what Christ does through you. And Marilee picked up on that. So Marilee said um, at Sunday night after the service, she said, Jim, that was really good. But you know what, Jim? 
it doesn't work. I've been like, so what does that mean? Okay, so it's not, it's not me ministering, it's Christ ministering in for me. So then do I do nothing? And I looked at Mary Lee and I said, come to chapel on Tuesday and I'll tell you. No, no, you gotta tell me now. And I said, no, come to chapel and look who's here today, my wife. <laughs> but this is so good because now we have a conditional truth. And the conditional truth is found in Matthew chapter 14 through an illustration. Matthew chapter 14, and it's an illustration that we are also familiar with, probably one of our top 10 favorite stories for every one of us, Peter walking on the water. Now it is impossible to walk on water unless you have the power of Christ. And if you have the power of Christ, you can walk on water. If it's no longer you and it's Christ, you can walk. And by the way, any one of those disciples could have walked on water that day. There was only one person who got out of that boat and walked on water. Every one of you can live victorious Christian lives after what I give, but it's going to be the person who gets out of the boat and does what Peter did. Now, there's two things. We're going to start the story in verse 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch, that would be between three and six o'clock in the morning. And in the fourth watch of the night, you know, I just got to tell you, just for me personally, that really spoke to my heart. I feel like I'm in the fourth watch of my life right now. And it's sad that in the fourth watch of my life, I'm starting to understand something that I should have started to apply when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. And I do tell you this, if you get a hold, you don't have to wait till the fourth watch of your life to live the victorious life that I sense that I'm experiencing right now and that you can experience at 20 years of age. This is so important. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went on to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. I want to tell you, that is only not just a statement for those disciples that night on the Sea of Galilee. That should be the declaring statement of our life every day of our life. Every day of our life, be of good cheer. It is I, Jesus Christ, be not afraid. Every day of the rest of your life, you should be able to go through that day and say, be of good cheer, Jim. It is not gonna be you today, Jim. It's going to be me today. And Jim, don't be afraid because I'm going to give you a power that you do not have in and of yourself. That statement should be the declarative statement for the rest of our lives. Be of good cheer. Man, come on, be joyful, Christian. Why? Because it's not you, it's Christ. It, and be not afraid. Okay, let's get going now. Here we go, verse 28. 
Peter answered him and said, Lord, oh. now this next word makes us think like, well, he's not sure. It's, no, no, no. He, he knows it's Jesus. Let me just tell you. You could kind of use the word since for, for that word if there, okay? And it would have the same idea. So here's kind of what he's saying. There's nothing wrong with the word if, but I think some of you go like, oh, he's questioning. He's not questioning. He knows who it is. He says this, Lord, since it be thou, Bid me come unto thee on the water. Well, I know who it is, but I know that I cannot walk on water without your power. So bid me come. And then Jesus says what he's telling you college students today. And he said, come, get out of the boat and do what you heard today in chapel. Now, the foundational truth is the way you got saved is the way that you got to live. But you say, well, Brother Shetler, what part do I have? What, do I do nothing here? Here's the conditional truth. There's two truths, two statements, two what actions that Peter does here. He gets out of the boat. He gets out of the boat, why? Now, everyone hear this because this is the conditional truth. He gets out of the boat because he has absolute faith in Christ. Amen. And number two, he surrenders totally and say, I'm coming. This is going to be up to you. Now listen to this. Your condition is total surrender and absolute dependence. Now, this is really important because this is when God's going to come in and give you your power. There are many of you that are not surrendered to God. Hey, I was in college one day. By the way, I've lived as a believer for a long time, and there's definitely been seasons in my life that I didn't surrender something. It might have been a plan. It might have been a dream. It might have been a relationship. It might have been a, 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 a hobby. It might have been a, a desire that I had, a sport. It, it, it might have been a possession I wanted to get. And I wanted that. And God says, you will not get my power until you are totally surrendered. And by the way, many of you have experienced this. You know, you know, Jim, when I totally surrendered that relationship over to God, I did start experiencing the power. Yeah! Our condition isn't to do something. Our condition is to surrender something, to give something up. And when we totally are surrendered, you know what, Lord? I totally surrendered this day to you. And God, whatever you bring my way, whatever, you totally surrender your dreams, your plan. Some of you are still struggling about. Some of you, God's really been working on your heart and calling you into the ministry. And you won't surrender that because you got other plans. Some of you are in a relationship right now that you have not totally surrendered to God. I'm not saying that person may not be the one. But you don't have that person on the altar right now. And you will not experience walking on water. You will not be able to take the steps of victory in your life if you're not totally surrendered. But then the second thing that he is, when he gets out of that ship, he is totally dependent on Christ. He knows, 
I am not walking on water on my own. I know I have to be totally dependent on God. And your condition is twofold. You are totally surrendered and completely dependent on God. And when you do that, let me tell you, God then allows you the power to walk on water. You can overcome anything in your life when you're totally surrendered to Jesus Christ and totally dependent upon Christ. Then at that moment, God, I am depending on you on this. Now, did Peter take his body, his muscles, and get out of the boat? Did he? Yes or no? Yes, he did. He took his body, he took his muscles, and he got out. But let me tell you something. His faith was not in his body. His faith was in Christ. But he took his body to get out of the boat. So you got to take your eyes and turn the stinking thing off. You got to take your body and the instruments and yield them to God. You got to stop thinking about that, what that person did to you and forgive them. You have a body and you have a mind. You got to take that, but it is totally, but God, I've never been able to forgive her. I've never, been, okay, you can't, you can't walk on water. But you put your total, you know what, God, though? I am going to forgive her by faith in you. Lord, you forgave me. I'm going to forgive. And you, there is a condition. And the condition is total surrender and complete dependence. And when you do that condition, God moves in mightily. Let me, let me give you, I'm just going to tell you the story. I'm going to read it. I would, if you're writing notes, I would definitely write it down though. Exodus 14. In Exodus 14, I'm going to start reading at verse 10. They're at the, they're at the cul-de-sac, Pi-Hi-Arath, Baal-Saphon, Magdol. And all of Israel just got out of Egypt and they're, and they're at a, a cul-de-sac and they're looking at this as a dead end. And here's what happens, verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were so afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Oh, Moses, because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Verse 12. Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt? You know what? I wish I would have never got saved. And I'm going to tell you this. I do believe this. I believe that the most unhappy person on planet Earth is not a lost person. I believe the most unhappy person on planet Earth is a believer in God who's not walking on water. Because you know there's something that, God, I wish I wouldn't get saved. Because now I got this conscience about what's right and wrong. And I got the Holy Spirit telling me to do this. And I can't do any of it. I think the most unhappy person on planet Earth is not someone on their way to hell. I think the most unhappy person on planet Earth is a believer that is not exercising what they have in Jesus Christ. And they're trying to live out their Christianity in their own strength. And they're living out of performance. I think that's the most unhappy person. And that's why people leave churches. That's why people leave their Christianity. 
is because they have been trying so hard to perform. They've been trying so hard in their own effort. And they go like, you know what? I am done with Christianity. I am so done with trying to please my God. And gang, that's not what it is. And they're there right now. And they say, you know what? The God, we just died in Egypt. And then listen to what Moses says. Verse 13, and Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today for the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. Okay, so God does the whole thing, Brother Shetler. Yes, he does. He's going to do the whole thing. He's going to part the sea. He's not going to have them part the sea. God's going to part the sea. But the next verse is the key. The next verse says this. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hey Moses, wherefore criest thou unto me? Don't be praying no more. Listen to this. Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. You tell them to take their step of faith. You tell them to take their condition of total dependence on their Savior, Jehovah. You tell them to surrender everything. And you tell them to take their step forward. And when they take their step of faith in complete dependence of me, I will part the Red Sea. Now that is the condition to sanctification. The foundational truth is the way you got saved is the way you got to live your life. But the condition of our sanctification is total surrender and complete dependence on God. But I close with this. Yeah, I close with this. And it's going to be the shortest point, but maybe the most important truth that I have learned in the last several months. The the, the, The motivational truth is found in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and I do want you to turn to this. I'm going to begin reading in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 8. This has changed my life in the last several weeks. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Verse number 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10. Herein is love. Now this is it, guys. Listen to this. Herein is love. Not that we love God. But that he, everyone together. What's the next two words? Loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Look down to verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth, remains, continues, abides. He that dwelleth in love, dwelleth in God. And God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. But the Shetler, I'm not sure I understand. Well, here's what I, I, I know, and I didn't either. All of my Christian life, I have always thought the, the greatest motivation is love. But guys, I've gotten it messed up. 
It's not my love for him. It's his love for me. Amen. Now, gang, that's what changes everything. Amen. That's what has given me an energy. Like, I just, God, I know I got to love you. God, I got to love you. God, I want to love you. God, help me love you. Love on the God, I want to love you. And God goes, stop, Jim. Don't be so concerned about loving me. Live in my love for you. And that will motivate everything. You will totally surrender to somebody that you know loves you. You will totally be dependent upon a God that you know loves you. There will not be a problem reaching the condition of sanctification if you're living in the love of God in your life. Some of you just need to get alone and remember what Christ did for you. By the way, why did you get saved? Well, I believe God, for God so loved the world. Yeah! It isn't us loving him. It was him loving us. And God, I want to go to heaven with you. I don't want to go to hell. You love me, God, and you'll save me. That is exactly the way you live the Christian life. You live the Christian life the way that you got saved. And you got saved because you believe God loved you. And because God loved you, you totally surrendered to God and you were completely dependent upon God to save you. And you asked Jesus to save you. Now I'm telling you, the motivation has got to be God's love for us. It has nothing to do with what we do and who we are. The most expensive painting the world has ever known. It's worth over a hundred million dollars. And it is a painting of the most beautiful woman that has ever existed, Mona Lisa, right? Uh, Brother Scheller, have you ever seen the painting? Yes, the most beautiful, exquisite woman that has ever existed. And that's why it's a hundred million dollars. Brother Shelley, have you ever seen the painting? Yes. Mona Lisa is not that good looking. <laughs> Do you understand that the picture of Mona Lisa is worth over a hundred million dollars? Yeah, I, I know, but Brother Shelley, can I share something with you? It ain't because of Mona Lisa. It's because of who painted Mona Lisa. Your value. It's not on how good you can play the piano. Your value is not the gender that God created you. Your value isn't how good you can get up and speak or how attractive you think you are or how athletic you are. Your value is not the family that you came from. Your value is not who you are. It's who has painted you. Your value is God's love. The reason why you have value is because God loves you. Yeah, and God loves me because of what I do. No, he does not love you because of what you do. He loves you because he is love. And his love on you is your value and your worth. Yeah, Mona Lisa is one of the plainest looking women you'll ever see in your life. There is not that much beauty in Mona Lisa at all. But the one who painted her, Da Vinci, that's where the value is because of who painted her, not because of her. She's a, a wife of a merchant from Florentine. 
Leonardo da Vinci painted her. And I want to tell you something. Shetler, if you have any value, it isn't because of anything in you. It's because God loves you, Jim. And with that motivation that God would love me, then I will totally surrender to him. And I will absolutely, completely be dependent upon a God who loves me that much. And then I will live by faith. And yeah, my body will get out of the boat. By the way, did you not know that? You all know the story so well too, don't you? So he's walking on water. And then what happens? He starts sinking. And when does he start sinking? When he starts looking at the waves instead of Jesus. So when we go on this walk of sanctification, so Brother Scheller, you're talking about all this stuff in the last few weeks. Have you had any failures in the last two weeks? Have you gotten any anger? Have you had any little? Yes. And every time I've done that, every time I've sunk, it is because I've forgotten where my faith needs to be and my dependence needs to be on. Yes, I think my life is different today, but I also know I still sink in the water. And when I sink in the water, it's because I'm not doing the condition. And you know why I'm not doing the condition? I have forgotten my motivation. My motivation is God's love for me, not my love for him. And when that becomes your motivation, man, you can live this Christian life. It is like, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. It is I, not you. Aren't you glad for that? Be not afraid. So, are you ready to get out of the boat? You understand the foundational truth? Now, will you totally surrender and completely be dependent? And do you, but don't come to an altar. If you don't experience, you know what, God? This is not about my love for you. This is about your love for me. And because you love me, I want to go. By the way, I didn't even finish that first John. It goes into first John chapter five, and it says, if you, it, it, those that are, are born of God and know his love, obey his commandments. And his commandments, does anyone know? And his commandments are not, does anyone know the word? Are not what? I heard it. Grievous. It's like, this isn't a problem at all. Living, living, by these, living by the word of God is no problem at all. It's impossible. I know, but it's Christ living in me. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, I'm telling you something. This is the key to the Christian life.